All right, well, welcome to the Men Up Podcast. My name is Christian Shabu. I'm George Black. And we have got a great podcast coming up. We are in the holiday season, obviously. Uh, so it's, it's been a crazy time here, and we got some really exciting stuff happening real soon with Men Up. So we got our leadership meeting coming up soon. Just really enjoying seeing the leadership team grow and learn more. We have workshop coming up um, in Boston, and uh, that's going to be amazing just to be able to work with young people and, and, and really spread this, this, this message, this, this movement going. Um, I'm really excited about that new opportunity to, to take it from here and go to somewhere else. Yeah, really exciting. And it's actually pushed us. So this workshop is going to be the longest workshop that we've run um, with any community that's, that's new to us, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have our Men Up leadership team and our community here in New Haven that we've we've built some solid foundation, but we're gonna be going into this community up in up Massachusetts and, and running about a three hour workshop. So it's really pushed us uh, towards our own greatness of, of really making this as powerful of an experience as possible uh, with Men Up for, for a lot of young men for their very first time. Yeah, and I'm excited about that because I feel like uh, the standard that we've set, specifically with this new workshop, I mean, we've done great workshops before, um, but the standard we've set for this new workshop, it just feels like uh, it's going to empower people to produce things that can actually challenge uh, some of the issues that we've been touching on, right? So it, it moves from this place of simply informing or making people aware to uh, only like taking responsibility for things and, and, and moving in action. And I'm, I'm excited about that. You know, we've been working on this workshop experience and it's been building and evolving Really, it's the workshop we've been offering for, for three years now, but it's it's evolved considerably over the last six months. But it's put me in a place of either learning some new things, obviously, but relearning lessons that, that I thought I had, had totally committed to, but sometimes just in the mix of doing the work and hustling, you forget some lessons, mm. right? And, and so uh, one of the lessons that I feel like I've been learning anew is just how important language is and how the words that we use matter and we need to be able to be succinct but at the same time descriptive enough so that folks can be as much on the same page as possible even as we've done this work we've realized that there's just so many times where we assume that people understand what we're talking about um, or that they should or some combination of that um, how that is ultimately unhelpful i've been learning that it's important to make sure that people have the opportunity to opt into something right yeah. And to choose to say yes to, to commit to something. Um, one of our core values is commitment, right? Um, and so I think moving forward in, in, all, in some way, in all of our workshop, there needs to be a space where people can opt into a kind of commitment uh, that wasn't assumed. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we're asking young men, particularly in this workshop that we're going to be offering to, to opt into, right, is, is their own definition of, of manhood, mm-hmm. right? But in order to do that, we've got to have some sort of shared language around like, well, what do we mean by manhood, right? Or, or I think one of the things we were being challenged by for, for, you know, probably a year or even longer is as this work has evolved, you know, we've, we've tried to understand how all of the words that come to define uh, manhood and masculinity, how that all plays into our work, right? Because it's, it's words that we all hear, right? We yeah. hear manhood, we hear masculinity, we hear toxic masculinity a lot. We're, we're hearing patriarchy, right? With more movements coming about, we're hearing those words. It's like, well, how do these all interact with each other? And it's real easy to get in a place of using them interchangeably, mm-hmm. and that's actually problematic and, and yeah. is not helpful yeah. for anybody's understanding. Specifically around helping young men define manhood and masculinity for themselves, uh, define what it means for them to be a man for themselves. That is something that we have said we wanted to do since like the beginning of this work, right? When we when we when we opted in to this work together, yeah. We said that's something that we wanted to do, and I feel like while we've created small pockets of that, like this this upcoming workshop is is the first time when we are actually in a space where we're like, yo, this we're actually creating a space where this is possible, right? I mean, outside of the summit, the summit, right? <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the. This is a space where you actually can opt in in, in, in a powerful way. One of the things that, that we talk about with Men Up, right, is, is shifting the idea from toxic masculinity to types of masculinity that are either empowering or disempowering, right? And, and so one of the activities that we do early on in this workshop, right, is one about like, well, these are the roots, if you will, of mm-hmm. disempowering masculinity. And the way that we think about that is like, what are some conventional ideas that have persisted over time? Uh, when it comes to masculinity, they're actually the ones that are the most problematic and, and disempowering of all people, mm-hmm. right? Men included, they're the ones right. that are acting on it, right? And we, we've had to come down to these 
these phrases, like isms, if you will, yeah. to describe those. And one of them is that men are typically leaders, yeah. right? And, and that's one um, that I think in a lot of ways shows up even in the most subtle of interactions that I see with young men day in, day out in school, even in my own life, like the way that I operate sometimes and step into spaces and it's like, oh, well, you know, there, there seems to be a void of direction in this situation. Let me take the lead on this. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about that and also, and also to think about what is yeah what it means for men who who are uninterested in that mm. <laughs> yeah who don't attach being a leader to their manhood right um, and who are actually who, who have actually vocalized like I'm not actually interested in being the leader here let seeing that as a space where we leave room for people who identify in lots of different ways uh, to be the leader right people who actually want to be the leader <laughs> um, who who choose that that excites me because it, it challenges that convention well I'll say to that point George is that. You are one of the few people in my life, one of the few men over the entirety of my life so far that I think there have been plenty of examples of men that either I've seen it um, or they just haven't wanted to step up to lead so they don't, right? But, but you're somebody that actually has used that language and been active mm -hmm. about in the spaces where you don't want to lead, like that, that you call that out. And so I, I wonder, because that's not something I do, yeah, right? Like, I, I wonder, like, how did you come to that space or, or how do you even like act upon that when you're like, well, I'm not sure if I really want to lead this thing or I actually have no interest in that. Like, how do you act upon that? Because I think, I think a lot of guys actually struggle with that, right? And just giving them those tools would be valuable. I think the main thing for me is to be clear about where my greatest contribution could be. And there are spaces where, because I'm, I may be like the most experienced in something, uh, that I'm automatically assumed to be the leader, right? Uh, where I actually have done the work and uh, processing and, and realizing that my greatest contribution is probably in helping this other person who has really strong qualities, but maybe not the experience, right? Gain the knowledge and the wisdom necessary such that they can be a leader. I'll be clear that like a lot of that has to do with like personal experience as well. Growing up, there was a lot of assumption that as a man, right, specifically in the church, right, like that I would, I would be the leader of something, right? Because because I'm a man, case closed in the discussion, right? Um, having moved in that, having experienced that, uh, having realized that my contribution could have and should have been different, um, and that actually like relationships suffered because I decided to move in what people told me I should move in as opposed to uh, where I actually knew and understood my contribution to be. Like I was very clear, uh, I just also wanted people to perceive me a certain way, right? Mm. So it's really about doing that work beforehand and doing that thinking beforehand, right? And, and coming to the conclusion uh, that you don't have to lead and that doesn't define you in some way, right? Like I feel like that's a decision that's difficult to make in the moment because socialization is a thing, right? But if you you take that time beforehand, I think it, it becomes much easier. Mm. You, you brought up doing the work beforehand, right? And I, and I think a lot of, that, that's a phrase that I think comes up a lot, both in the work that we do, and also just, I, I think that's a phrase that's come up more and more in, a, in our culture today, right? That like there's self-work to do. Mm -hmm. But I often wonder if folks know how to do that because like we're told to do the work, but then it's like, well, well how do you do that, right? Yeah, and and I think for me, like, I've had to discover and, and recognize that I've actually been doing this since I was like 13, 14, 15 is like actually like the work for me is like sitting down journaling mm -hmm. in a quiet place yep. um, and, and being alone with whatever those thoughts and ideas are and like making an intention at the beginning to say, I'm going to work through this. I know that there's the thing here I need to work through. And so let me like write through this and let me be vulnerable. Let me like ask questions on the page. Mm -hmm. Let me like make statements that like, maybe I don't know if they're true or not, but let me write them out and like see if that fits. And if it doesn't like work backwards or whatever it is, yeah. but like that's been my space to, to workshop, if you will, yeah. and, and work through that self-work. Yeah. I actually had a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you like, how, what does that work? How have you attached that work, that journaling, that, that self-processing with uh, community, right? Like, how do you take that and do you, have you ever processed some of this stuff out loud with other people? Um, do you connect that to the journaling you've done? Like, what's, what, what is the weight that you've put on processing this, this work being partly done in community? I think for me, when it comes to a lot of ideas about my own manhood or, or how society understands masculinity and if I agree, disagree with that, a lot of that work has not been done in community. 
right? And, and in fact, like it, it's been done in community in the sense of like, I'll hear something when I'm in community or I'll, I'll have an observation, right? But the actual like working it out, like, do I believe this thing? Do I not? Like, where do I fit in this thing? Actually is best done when, when it's on the page Got it. for me. Got it. Um, and, and that's just been, you know, sort of a, a trial and error type thing, right? It, is that for some people, that might be the most important space, like being in a community space to like have that conversation and work it out that way with your words and do that in real time. Like I know for some folks, like that's, that's a powerful practice, right? For me, that's, that is a, that is a practice that sometimes works, but like if I, if I need a go-to, like I know I am, I am best um, served by, by the page and writing it out and, and really, really being critical there. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I asked because, uh, to answer your question, um, I feel like I, I feel like it may be equal parts for me, right? Like I do a lot of journaling, and um, been, I've been reading a lot of different perspectives on what manhood is or isn't. But I've also had conversations with people uh, like yourself or like my brother or men in my life who have different viewpoints. And I think the reason why that's been important to me is because I feel like to some degree it's my responsibility to like show up in the way that I'm needed, right? Um, and I feel like sometimes if I don't check what how, how I'm moving or how I'm processing things with other people or other perspectives, I can move into a space where I'm doing something that's comfortable for me, but not necessarily holding up the people I need to be holding up, right? Not necessarily taking the responsibility that I need to take. Now, it's only been recently that I began to journal about manhood, about masculinity, about what the way that I want to be a man, right? Um, but that has been incredibly helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say to your point of like the the importance of, of community and in, in understanding this. For me, that shows up as as the one or two people um, that I feel like I have the the most confidence and like ultimately can be the most vulnerable with in in really understanding. All these ideas and trying to sort through my, my, my thoughts or, or what I'm considering, right? And so, like, obviously, you're one of those people. But, it, but I think that that's how community shows up for me. Like, I'm most served by it's like a one on one conversation or even like two or three people tops, right? Yeah. Like, and, and writing, like, that's what serves me best, yeah. at least. I, I think the other thing that, that's been interesting and a practice that can give folks that if you, if you have been journaling, if you have been using uh, writing as a source for really understanding I mean we're talking about like manhood and masculinity here for for any any age person but like just anybody in general if you're trying to sort through just like your values and how you want to show up in the world is like go back and and look at the trends over time of the mm -hmm. things you're writing about there was an interesting moment for me and, and and it was one where like I knew I had to make shifts for myself where I looked at my journals from like the time I was 13 right to the time I was probably 20 three, 24, right? Somewhere there. I'm like, the majority of the things I'm talking about here are my relationships to women. Mm. If I had to put a percentage to it, I'd say like 70% of those pages were filled with like either me complaining about what was going on in relationships or me talking about a woman I liked or me being confused, like all, but I was just like, is that really the only thing I have to focus on, right? Like there was that moment where when I looked back and like saw these trends over years, I was like, hold on a second, right? Like that's not saying that those women weren't important, those relationships weren't important, but there had to be more that I was sorting through here and not just the, the challenges of a relationship. Ooh, Shabu. Yeah, I have two journals that I hold. I, I don't, I, I, I have to fill, but I didn't throw them away. And, uh, I literally looked at these things maybe three weeks ago, maybe mm. three weeks ago, and that's what it was filled with. It was filled with, yeah, just ideas about me and women and my worthiness and being with women and how integral that was to who I was. And I would I would say now that I'm thinking more clearly, uh, my manhood, right? Like what it meant for me to be a man. Like being a man meant being desired by women. And if I wasn't being desired by women, then I wasn't some, I didn't say this, right? But I think some of the things I was feeling was this lack of manhood, right? And so, yeah, and that was, that was three months ago. And those journals were from a year or two years ago, right? Yeah. And so, so that's, that's big. The other, the other practice that I would say that I've, I've utilized is uh, just, 
being mindful of and re-examining your ideologies, right? And right, so like a lot of my ideology around manhood and masculinity came from my relationship to the church, right? Mm. And so, and right, but like regardless of what your ideology is, right, or where it comes from or how you've pieced it together, I think uh, being able to observe and examine other ideologies opens you up to the idea that like people in different communities at different times have thought about this thing very differently. Right. And so it, it gives you the freedom to say, oh, this is actually not the only way to think about that. And that is true even within your specific ideology. Right. Like like I'm clear that uh, in my faith practice, there are lots of ways to think about manhood and masculinity. And maybe one seems more prevalent than others. But that is not to say that other groups, other communities have not thought about this thing thoroughly and come to different conclusions. We're really getting into the importance of words today yo man really getting into it <laughs> language is important shout language. out to the english majors in the room shout out to the english majors, all two of us right here um so one more thing i wanted to share uh which was shout out to you as our as our chief here in new haven for the future project a resource you got for us which was dare to lead by Brene brown early on in the book Brene brown talks about armored leadership uh and this idea that like we often show up with this armor on, mm-hmm. right? And and I thought that that in itself was a powerful idea to, for me to think of, specifically as a man, right? Like so many times, the the images that we get of men throughout throughout history, throughout our existence, is like the one that's warring, the one that has to have on the armor, right? And like, and I thought about like, wow, like how even just having that idea, that metaphor, like how many of us like show up with armor on all the time. Specifically when, you know, we are, we often have this tension of like being the ones that typically lead. You didn't see my, my air quotes, but typically lead was in air quotes, but we're showing up as leaders that are armored and and just how, how challenging that can be for, for everybody around us. Yeah. What I love about Brene Brown's metaphor about the armor is her connection to the armor and like it being heavy. And how, because it's heavy, it, it it literally is a metaphor for a lack of freedom, right? Mm. Like, it's, you cannot move like you want, like you, you think you know how you want to move, but you also are carrying this immense armor. And so imagine what life would be like if you took the armor off and experienced the kind of freedom that you could experience if, if you were lighter, right? Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I appreciate that as you talk about, uh, as you, as we talk about manhood, as we talk about uh, what it means to be a man. In the book, early on, uh, she lists out what armored leadership looks like, 16 points of how it usually shows up, and then gives the flip side of daring leadership, which is, is what she's offering up as, as the way to really show up as, as the most powerful and efficient leaders as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be interesting to just take a moment and like, for each one of us, like identify which which shift from armored to to daring seems to be the one that's the one that we need to do the most work on mm. as individuals. Got it. Uh, so I'll kick it off. I think the one for me uh, is actually number seven in the list, which is using criticism as self protection. Mm-hmm. And the way that I took that, although in the book she's talking about it in terms of of criticizing others, is I use self criticism uh, an awful lot. Like uh, I am my hardest critic by far. And, and when I take some steps to, to back to look at that, it's, it really is as a way to protect myself, right? Sometimes it's a way for like, if I show up in a space and I'm overly critical of myself, I know that that means that other people in the room aren't gonna be as critical of me, all right? That's a way of protection. Uh, but also there, there's other ways that like I use that as a form of protection. And so the flip of that is making contributions and taking risks that's daring leadership mm. right and and the idea that the risk here would be to maybe not lead with that criticism yeah. right or just to like be open to the conversation uh, be open to things evolving as they are and not be so critical of myself first but but instead allow the group or other people or even you right like in, in our men up work right mm. to 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 offer that critique first. So I'm waffing through... Waffing? Waffing? Is that a word? I'm sifting through... <laughs> what? Didn't we just say we were English majors? That's a, that's a problem. For, wow. Wow. <laughs> Called out on the live. Is this about the beard envy? Is this the... the this the goes back to the beard envy. Got it. Recall back to the beard envy. Got it. Got it. The beginning of the episode. Yeah. Um, so I think mine actually is collecting gold stars. So words of affirmation is my love, is my primary love language, right? Affirmation being something I have been uh, increasingly aware 
that uh, that I value a lot. And you know, there's a healthy way to do that, and then sometimes it shows up in unhealthy ways, right? Ways that that stifle you unless you feel like you've gotten the affirmation necessary, right? I have seen that be problematic in my life, and I know I see that being problematic in my life right now. Like there are ways where um, sometimes I have to be so mindful of what, or I rather I am so mindful of whether or not I've received a kind of affirmation as opposed uh, to thinking about what does it mean to give gold stars, right? Which is uh, the daring leadership side of this. And just thinking about what does it mean for me to realize that this is an opportunity for me to love others like I want to be loved. Yeah, do unto others as you would have done unto you, right? Um, and so if affirmation and words of affirmation and celebration and shouting people out, making sure people are aware that their contribution is valued and needed, I could be much better at that, right? Like with people I work with, people that I'm in relationship with all across my life. I mean, I actually would love to be known as the person who is like, when, when something happens, like, you know that George is going to acknowledge you and shout you out, you know right. what I'm saying? And like, and make a big deal about it because it's important, right? I would love to be that person. I know I'm not right now, but I would love to be that person. Right. And in, in an authentic yeah. way, right? And not just the like, a, oh, you become the gold star person that just always gives out gold stars, but that they're actually really intentional and thoughtful. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, because I don't like when people are giving me gold stars. As a per as a gold star junkie, right? I'm very, very clear when people are giving me gold stars and that joint is BS. And I don't I don't believe that at all. I don't you just said something and I don't nah, I don't I don't hold that, but thanks for trying. A gold star junkie. I, I think you need to call Brene and told her you just came up with something that she needs to add in her next book. <laughs> gold star junkie. Wow. If, if, if I ever had something that I said in a Brene Brown book, I'm I could die happy. That you should seek out gold stars. You should tell everybody. If you end well, up in a Brene Brown book. You know, I was. I just want to let you know, you know, in Brene's Brown book, Dare to Lead, version 2, you know what I'm saying? She quoted me and stuff. I ain't making a big deal about it. But no, know. no, no, no. Well, while George and I are not in Dare to Lead, we would encourage all y'all to pick this up. Really powerful book. Um, and it's been a really powerful tool. I haven't even gotten a third of the way through the book yet and already uh, so many, so many powerful lessons. Uh, and above all, as we focused on at the top of this episode, it's like words matter, right? And, and our connection to those words and our shared understanding matters. So let's, let's seek to understand further. And we have a very special guest in studio today. Joining us for our last Men Up leadership meeting of 2018 is a guy who's been really excited about our work. Uh, so we were excited to have him because he's ha he's done some really powerful work around understanding uh, manhood and masculinity. And that is Andrew Schlesinger. Thanks for having me. So Andrew, would love to first understand, like, how did you come about focusing on your work, your graduate work, focusing on, on manhood and masculinity? Like, what, what was your path to that? I left my job in springtime and I kind of had the summer before graduate school started, had a lot of time in my hands, and I took that to start sort of evaluating some of the bigger issues I felt like society was facing. One of them that kind of kept coming up for me was climate change and sort of result of abusing the environment. Another one during this time period was the war in Syria, so uh, a lot of mass migration and a refugee crisis. So I was trying to understand um, the themes that connected them, and it seemed to me that what was driving these issues kind of all tied to greed ego, competition, and ultimately also an aggressive nature. So so at the time, um, I didn't connect it to masculinity. Uh, so it kind of like simmered in the background for, for a year or so uh, when I started grad school. I also would add that in that summer, uh, the now president was, uh, he announced his candidacy and the race was really in full swing. So we were kind of getting a glimpse of, of our future president, also highlighting some of these traits. Uh, they were becoming really pronounced. So then during an exercise, that we went through uh, to pick our thesis topic. I was exploring greed and, and ego, and I began to just kind of see all these traits, greed, ego, aggression, emotional insensitivity. They're all ideals that kind of culminate in a masculine framework. And I wanted to address these larger issues. It seemed to me that we needed to start rethinking the traits of our current leaders and role models and reimagine uh, the next generation of uh, young men to be cooperative and compassionate and more thoughtful. 
So you put together a, a phenomenal presentation for us today that, that was just a, a glimpse at, mm. at the comprehensive work that you did over a year plus time. What was that process for you? What, what were some of the challenges doing this work? And, and, and what's been the response to the work? So thinking about Baby Jim, which is, uh, that was a really difficult project for me because as I was making it, I didn't necessarily understand uh, that it was purely a provocation. In some ways, as I was making it, people were saying they wanted the object to exist and they wanted to use it. And you know, for me, that was like crushing my soul because it was it was really a, a, a product that I, I didn't want to see in the world. And what was the provocation, the question you were working from? Because you had a very essential question yeah. to each project. What I was trying to address was right when a, a child is born, what is the way that we can help fathers connect with their newborn? Mm. And, and that, that gets tied to some of the stigma that's currently exists in our culture where, where men shouldn't be involved in, in this process. Um, you know, the baby should be only with the mother and they should be nurturing. Um, so I was trying to, to, to tackle that taboo, but the reality is like that shouldn't be a taboo. By making that product, I was trying to highlight like that if this is the only way, what does that say about our culture? I remember when you were showing the presentation and I immediately thought about how, oh, that would be really great <laughs> if, yeah. I, if I had a child and give the child a kiss while they're working out. And, yeah. uh, and then you said uh, that that's not something you want to see in the world. And I remember thinking, I can see that if that's like the only way hmm. that we can see that, right? Um, as opposed to it being amongst other other well thought out uh, ways that we can, as men, connect to our children mm -hmm. um, when they're first born. So I, I, I had to rethink that, but mm. yeah, I, I appreciate the critique. I think one of the projects that was really interesting that you showed us was this project that really highlighted like what would be some ways of leaning into institutions we already have that maybe currently foster some of the challenging parts uh, of masculinity and our understanding of manhood. And that was the Boy Scouts and, and, and a system in which they use to really value and help promote growth in merit badges. So I'd love to hear from you, like how you really went around that project and, and using a system to transform the way that they do it rather than like saying, oh, well, we got to burn the system to the ground and create something new, but transforming systems around manhood and masculinity. The funny thing about that project is, uh, in, in our thesis process, the, f the first week we started school, uh, we do a hundred sketches. So you just, for a week, you're just drawing whatever comes to mind. And the badges was one of those things uh, that came came to me, in a, you know, I said like a napkin sketch basically of it originally. Yeah, I think it's, I think this is an example of where, where design actually can just tweak things a little bit to really uh, make a big impact in what the ultimate product is. We already have merit badges, right? We already kind of have this metric um, or way of measuring success for, for, for young kids to, to push them into growth and leadership. I mean, if we can just tweak it just a little bit, right, uh, it, it becomes pretty powerful. Your background has been in, in being an engineer, right, mm -hmm. and, and those sorts of skills. And now you've gone to grad school, you've leaned into that, that designer uh, part of your experience. How do you see yourself understanding ways to move forward as, as a man and, and maybe address challenges of manhood and masculinity or help shift things um, in your own life and in your own communities moving forward after doing this work? Since, the, since finishing the thesis, uh, I mean, like, kind of everything has changed, right? Like, my, just my view of the world is dramatically different. I consumed so much like information that I never would have consumed right around not just masculinity but sort of everything that, that surrounds it. So a lot of uh, behavioral psychology and childhood development and, and other elements that have sh shifted my lens in, in viewing the world. And I think like now it's it's impossible for me to walk into a situation and not question gender dynamics or uh, listen for like coded language um, that is perpetuating some type of norm. I think I, I'm like much more willing to question my friends or peers or, or family's behavior. I don't like to do it in uh, in the moment, but I've gotten much more comfortable and willing to kind of pull people aside and be like, hey, like you know, I don't I don't know if that was the right way to to say that, or I think like when we say it that way, we are perpetuating some type of norm that maybe we don't want our kids to you know take on. I'm excited to to try and engage uh, the community that I live in uh, in Brooklyn and take on some mentoring in my neighborhood um, and hopefully bring some of this kind of I, I guess I'm seeing it as like a neutral lens to uh, being a young person in the world, not masculine or feminine, but um, you know just absorbing the, the good traits. Well, you certainly had an impact here today uh, with our team. Uh, and I think it was clear by some of the conversation they were having afterwards, some of the ways they were processing things, even about their own story. I know for George and I, so 
Andrew, thank you for, for coming and joining us today and, and the work that you've done previously to get to this point. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. We are well into about three quarters of the way through the NFL regular season. A story surfaced, actually a video surfaced of Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt. That's a video of him uh, shoving a woman to the ground and then as he's being pulled away uh, by his group, uh, he's, he's kicking her and all this sort of stuff. Now, now the video in itself is disturbing. Uh, the circumstances around the video are the thing that, that, that I believe and I, and I think other folks believe as well is, is the real troubling piece to this, which is the video was surfaced because uh, TMZ uh, got a hold of the video and, and they released it about two weeks ago. But the video has actually been known to be in existence uh, for almost the whole year, for almost all of 2018. The, the NFL as an organization knew about the video and did nothing up until this point. The Kansas City Chiefs had done nothing. And, and now, only after the video has surfaced, has, has action actually been done. Mm. Uh, the, the couple of things that have happened are Kareem Hunt uh, has made several different statements acknowledging his wrongdoing and, and why it's so problematic. Uh, he has also since committed to going into counseling for alcohol and for anger management. The Kansas City Chiefs have released him from the team and the league kind of put him on a suspension of sorts uh, but did that right around at the same time that the Kansas City Chiefs dismissed him. So the NFL here, if you look at all of the parties, was probably the most inactive. So I'm going to stop there. I just want to get your initial feedback, George, on, on this situation. My first thought, I just, I go to the people who knew about the situation and decided not to act and what that reflects about their th their thought on the uh, health, worthiness, well-being of women, right? That like, yeah, that a video could surface about a man stomping, a, trying to kick a woman, trying to stomp a woman out, uh, and the people who could make moves deciding that this man being on a team or making them the money that they're making uh, is more important than the violation of this woman's body, right? Uh, like that, that to me, that's my, that's my first thought. And then the other, yeah, the other thought is, uh, I'm really, yeah, I want to see, and I'd love to hear like what the thoughts were around uh, when he, um, Kareem? Kareem made, Hunt, yeah. Yeah, made his, his apologies, right? Like when he said, I'm sorry, or he took responsibility for things. Yeah, to what degree was that sincere? Like how'd you, like, what what that feel like look like um yeah because these things happened a lot of time ago and then now now he's just moving on doing the things he needs to do to seek help from my perspective his response and again when, when we talk about individuals responding here i mean we have to be real about the fact that any athlete any celebrity has a team of people around them yeah right and so so it is not just one person making the decision but rather there are several folks weighing in. Kareem and, and his team that I'm assuming, I felt like the response was um, a powerful one uh, in so much that there was a clear acknowledgement. You know, it from from the responses, from, from the articles, from the videos, there was a clear sense of sincerity to me, um, but, but not everybody might feel that, so we need to recognize that. But also I think like the action steps since the video was revealed uh, and the fact that uh, him seeking out counseling and, and specifically around alcohol abuse and, and anger management, I think that those are steps that need to be taken, right? I think it's easy to focus on the individual in these situations, right? The, the NFL actually had a situation very similar to this, uh, has had several situations or over the years that have been uh, significantly profiled in the last, like, I'd say decade or so. Uh, the situation with Ray Rice, who was a running back for the Baltimore Ravens. And, and again, very similar idea. Uh, the NFL knew about a video, knew about a, a domestic violence situation and did nothing uh, to address it. Mm -hmm. And close to a year later, a video came out revealed by TMZ. That video was of Ray Rice essentially knocking out his soon-to-be wife, uh, but again, a, a violent situation that the, the NFL tried to cover up with one of their players. And I think that this gets to the fact that this is a league that does not prioritize 
the health of women, certainly, or the role of women in society. And more importantly, I'd argue, does not prioritize the health of the men in their league, period. The reason why that bothers me is because the, the NFL, to many people, is like a dream, a goal of theirs. And it it makes me think about the, the, the extent to which someone wants to be a part of something that actually doesn't value them, right? Yeah. Like they want to be attached to something, uh, obviously in in large part to the money, right? But like also the notoriety, the the history, there's a lot of things you could attach to it. Uh, but ultimately, uh, in times when making hard decisions about that person's thriving, right, uh, comes up, uh, it, it becomes clear that that organization doesn't care about who they are and like their health uh, and their actual well-being and ability to care for themselves and others in the world that right but people still want this people want to be a part of that it's interesting you talk about that right like the the role that the nfl the professional football in the united states of america has in our society Mm -hmm. right if i look back and i do this frequently when i go uh back to my hometown um in new hampshire i have my yearbook from fifth grade right my elementary school yearbook i don't think they do that anymore but but (laughs) elementary school yearbook Maybe it was only my school that did it. I don't know. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Okay, it cool, wasn't. cool, cool, cool. Um, but if I look at the section that says, like, you know, what do you want to be or, like, what's your dream? The first thing on mine is professional football player. Mm. And I think about a couple things. One, football was, like, the thing that brought together my family, yes, on Sundays, but, like, more importantly, the men in my family. And men that oftentimes, like, did not connect with each other. Like, even if like, let's say my grandfather and my father were not, were not two people that like connected with each other, right? There was a connection around football. There was a connection around rooting for our team, the New England Patriots. There was a connection for this uh, assumed idea that football was like a man's sport, right? And I look at that now as a grown man and I look at this league that, let's be clear, like, has not prioritized the health of, of the people in their league, the men in their league, and has not prioritized the health of like society or, or, or women and our relationship to that at all, ever in their existence. Mm-hmm. But like particularly the light has been has really been glaring on, on several situations over the last decade. And I just think like this is so problematic. Right. And, and I wonder, even for you, as somebody who's never really like been interested all that much in sports, certainly certainly not viewing them, right? Was there ever an interest or a connection to football for you? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I remember one time I was running down the hallway and uh, I was late for class and I was like ducking and dodging people, like hopping this way, spinning, just like whatever, right? And someone saw me and assumed that I was an athlete (laughs) and decided to ask me to be on the football team, right? They were like, you uh, were moving down that hallway kind of fast. You got a wide neck. You must be a football player. Oh, like, they wanted you to be a running back or a fullback. Yeah? yeah. I have no idea what those two things mean. And, <laughs> and uh, But uh, they wanted me to uh, hit people and or hold a ball and run down. They wanted me to play football. And I remember going to a practice. Uh, it, was, it was like they were in the weight room that day. Seeing everybody lift weights and getting down to like lift the weight and... Before I even got it in the air, before I even tried, I was just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm not interested, right? And they tried to like recruit me for the next couple. I, I, I guess for me, it was like, yo, these people had not said anything to, to me at all, right? It was my freshman, sophomore year of high school. They had not said anything to me before they saw me like ducking and dodging down the hallway. Uh, and then all of a sudden, because they saw that, I became of some value, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, I just remember being like, nah, why, why am I here? I'm, I'm good. My interest in football, either, either because of the kids I worked with or the people who suggested it to me has always been uh, because other people have suggested that it might be something I need to be interested in. Folks might be asking here, well, what's the point? Like, why are we even talking about like high school football and things like that? Oftentimes football still exists in our country as one of the primary drivers uh, of culture in our schools, right? And of socialization for for young men, right? When you, when you look at just the sheer number of people that are needed for a team, 
it's upwards of 40, mm. right? Like that, that's bigger than any other team that any, any school carries, right? And, and whether you grow up here in the Northeast or you grow up in places like, like Texas that are often known for being really driven by football, like football is an agent of socialization for our young men, mm. right? And to your point, if this is the thing, if the pinnacle, if the goal is to make it to the NFL, what we're doing and all the things that end up breeding that like men in those situations are leading to a league that is unhealthy for them. A league that has shown historically that it does not care about men's health, physically, mentally, emotionally. Right. And, and that's what we're doing. Like, and, and this is a league that, that has shown this over history. It's a league that uh, is run by a commissioner, right? Because it is each team is its own organization and those teams exist in the ecosystem of organizations. So there's somebody that's like overseeing the will of their people. And in this case, their people are the owners. And those people are typically incredibly wealthy white men. Right, like, uh, not saying that that's every single team. That's not true. But like, the history shows that that plays out. Like, yeah. and and it's a league that just doesn't value health. The amount of young people that I know, who for whom the NFL is like the epitome of of, of what they just want it. They want it so bad. The majority of those kids are people or kids of color. Yeah, just thinking about why they want the NFL, why they want to be a part of that, and. Uh, me being so focused on wanting them to value themselves, but also going to a place that is not, but wanting to go to a place that is not going to value them, right? Like that actually breaks my heart, right? Mm. That actually makes me sad. Things, life, situations, circumstances, systems, and structures are set up, have set up in a way to where uh, some of these young people, a lot of them feel like, like this is their quote unquote way out, right? This is their... This is the, the way that their story is going to mean something. This is the way that they are going to attribute value to their life, right? Uh, and it's interesting to think that the way, the organization that they think being a part of is going to attribute value to their life does not value their life. You see former football players and, and their health now and, and, yeah, concussions and the, the repercussions of getting hit all the time over and over there is a sense in which yeah their their health is on the line every night every time they play their bodies is on the line every time they play and somebody is making billions of dollars off of that such that it doesn't matter as much as the billions of dollars they're making right it doesn't matter as much as these billions of dollars their body their lives their livelihood matters less than this money for any men pursuing mm -hmm. a football career, it may very well be a way out when we're talking about mm -hmm. like access to money, right? Mm -hmm. Access to resources, absolutely. You sign with the NFL, you get a, you know, whatever your contract is, likely you get a contract that's in the millions of dollars. That, that's money that you've never seen. Mm -hmm. I've never seen, you've mm -hmm. never seen, never. right? <laughs> but money does not equal health, right? Right. Like it might be a part of of thriving mm -hmm. and success, but it, it's only one part, right? And if the other parts of that health, of that manhood are so out of whack, so askew, that is problematic, right? Yeah. And so, so here on the podcast, we always search for like, what are some solutions? What are some things we can do? I've got a solution. It's not one I think folks are going to like to hear mm -hmm. initially, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that it is absolutely necessary. And it is this, stop supporting the NFL. Mm. Stop watching football on Sundays, on Mondays, on Thursdays, on Saturdays. Stop supporting this league with your eyeballs. And of course, with the money that we buy for jerseys and all this other stuff, just stop. Mm. Why do you feel like at this point, not watching the NFL is like, the, is, an, is an answer, is a response that we should have? If I'm being completely honest, that, that, like, that feels like a, a good way for us to be intentional and about our, our personal convictions. Uh, but I, I wonder, like, to what degree that's actually going to, like, shift the NFL, like, like how, how influential the NFL is. So I would love to have, like, what, what are your thoughts behind why that's important for us to do? Yeah, I think that there's a couple reasons. Number one, this is an organization that is driven by money. Their decisions are ones to make more money. Mm -hmm. They've shown that over time. And... They've also shown that they are unlikely to respond to any other thing that might influence a decision, right? 
there's been plenty of conversation around CTE and concussions and the health of their players. The league has done virtually nothing over the 15 years that that's been in conversation in the public. Mm-hmm. Even as public sentiment has grown to say, like, we really need to just do something about concussions, about this, about that. They might change some rules once in a while, but, like, the underlying piece of, like, actually valuing the health of their players while they are playing for the league and afterwards is just not there, mm. right? They've also shown, let's use these bookends of, of the Ray Rice situation that happened about five years ago and the Kareem Hunt situation that happened now in the last couple of weeks. They acted in almost an identical way in those situations. In a league that is driven by the bottom line in how they make money, I know for a fact that my eyeballs, when I turn my TV on and I watch that for four, five, six, seven hours, that's generating money for them. I know when I go buy a Tom Brady jersey because I'm a New England Patriots fan, I'm gonna support that and I'm gonna buy that for my cousin or buy it for myself, that's supporting the league. So you know what? I'm not gonna give them my money. I will take that. I'll take that. I have a friend, maybe a couple years ago, he he came to that decision, right? Where he was like, I can't anymore. Right, watch. Uh, it was more rooted in uh, their practices around, um, yeah, the health of the men who were in the NFL and what their what their health was like after their careers and yep. uh, and 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 often they had the practice, the recruitment practices, and there's just a lot of things that he felt like wasn't okay. And he he's he has decided not to watch football, and it has been such a struggle for him because of the way that football. Um, it goes back to your comment earlier around how, uh, despite all these things that are true, right? Football has also been a space of uh, unity and of connection and uh, such a strong association with with what it means to be a man. That to not watch it uh, was was difficult, right? And it and I and I and I get that, I get that. So it, it that's that's all the more powerful a sacrifice right to be to be able to say this thing actually in some ways is really important to me and uh in doing what i'm doing i'm i'm, uh, I'm showing uh i'm doing what I, I can to like value the lives of people uh whose lives matter uh, i have stopped watching and supporting the nfl and, and that came about initially came about as a result of the way that they handled um colin kaepernick and mm-hmm. his decision to take a knee during the anthem and that was just like that that was the tipping point for me right and there were a number of things that over the years whether it was like the way that they handled the health of their guys cte the way they handled ray rice like all of those things were problematic and then like for whatever reason the the kaepernick the way that they just really mismanaged that and and really just weren't again empowering of of the men that make up their league i was like i'm done with this like i just can't Mm. get on board with something that is so out of line with like the values that I hold every day in my life. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, it's hard, right? Because, because it's something that is so embedded in our individual existence and in our culture, right? If you think about over the last 50 years, like the two things that across the country, right? If you had to say like, these are the two things that identify our Sundays Mm. as a country, right? I'm not saying it's like this for every single person, but, but culturally the two things that define Sundays are practicing faith in some way, going to church, practicing faith some way, and football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it, it it actually is ingrained in the liturgy of our culture, like it, the, the the our our movements, our rituals, our habits. It is actually no small thing to to ask people to do that, right? And so I'm I'm wondering, like, I, has it just been like? The conviction for you uh, that keep that keeps you away, right? You made a decision that keeps you away from it. Like, how do you <laughs> like uh, something that's been important to you, something that you wanted to do at one point? How do how do you practically like stay away from it? I've seen a trend in my life that once I get really clear that something is bad for me, it's really hard for me to unsee that or unhear it or unexperience that. Right. So I think about that with. I think about that with a lot of things, right? I think about that with, with whether it's like foods I've eaten or, or ways that I've just like lived my life at, at moments where, you know, I've tried to burn the candle at both ends, as they say, and, and not sleep. Or, you know, there's all sorts of like smaller daily experiences and choices that like once I got really clear of how bad that was for me, I was like, oh, got it. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to shift the way I do that. 
I think it's the same sort of dynamic with the NFL. Once I got really clear that like this thing was so out of line with my values, mm. it's been really clear. Like, of course, over the last three years, there'll be moments where I've got the TV on, I switch the channel and, you know, for about two or three minutes, I'll, I'll have a game on, whatever game it is, right? I'm just watching the game. And, and now, like, I see guys getting hit and I'm just like, that looked like as ridiculous as it sounds like that looks really painful and like that's going to have repercussions for that guy like and, and there's just a part of me that's just like i can't get down with that mm-hmm. and i i just can't knowing that there's an organization that like just doesn't just doesn't actually care about doing the right thing and not to say that everybody or every organization can do the right thing all the time but like it's just so clear like they don't want to do the right thing and they don't want to learn from previous mistakes like i just can't rock with that like at some point, I think we all have to choose like what are the things we're rocking with and how do they align or not align with our values and are we okay with that? That is what's most interesting to me about this conversation is this idea around what does it mean to actually do life in a way that aligned with what you say you stand for, right? That actually looks like you care about the things you say you care about. As, as men, what does it look like for us to, to do the work of sifting through our values. We were just talking about values earlier today, right? To sift through our values and to make decisions about not like our aspirational values, but like how are we actually living our lives, right? Like what is our practice values? What are the what are the ways that we actually show up in the world? And then from there deciding, is this how I want to move? And if not, how do I want to move? And doing the things that that yeah, that that attach that attach to those values. Well, a lot to think about for the folks, particularly during the holiday season when, when football is a thing that often mm-hmm. punctuates uh, holiday experiences, right? Whether that's Thanksgiving, Christmas, any other holidays you, you might experience. At the very least, consider what are the things during this holiday season that you value and are you living in alignment? Well, thank you all so much for staying with us during this episode. We covered a lot as we normally do. Uh, if you're interested in checking out previous episodes or just staying up to date with the episodes that we have coming out every couple weeks, you can go to themenup.com. You'll see the podcast link at the top of the page, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Just search Men Up. And please like, rate, share as we continue to make this movement a powerful one and one that empowers not just men, but all people in our world. But until next time, I'm Christian Shabu. I'm George Black. We appreciate y'all.